believe in yourself Cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe Argus is weak grew up in Warren, Michigan, and earned a BA in Business, Materials, and Logistics Management from Michigan State University. A quintessential entrepreneur, he's the founder and president of CIA Inc. and founder and chief technology officer of AGM Automotive. And since 2018, he's been the CEO of Apex Corporation, which creates high-end lighting products that redefine the language that lighting speaks. A survivor of an extremely rare form of cancer, his name, Bob Granada. And I'm Jack Crystal, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Crisula. This is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Bob Granada. And since 2018, he's been the CEO of Apex Corporation. Bob Welcome, an honor to have you. Good morning, Jack. Thanks for having me. Um, let's start with talking about your childhood, your mom and your dad, please. Yeah, well, so uh, actually, I think I mentioned just this past weekend, I celebrated my 57th birthday. Um, and I was raised uh, for my life in, uh, I was raised in Warren, Warren, Michigan. And uh, actually, both my father and mother were... Um, Barbers. My father was a barber uh, as long as I can remember, and my mother went into beauty school. So we probably had the shortest hair of uh, of anyone in the school because we were always getting haircuts. Uh, but we, uh, I was able to grow up in a very, uh, very modest lifestyle. You know, nine hundred square foot home in Warren, three bedroom, one bath home, and. Uh, Really, never looked back. It's it's been it's been a great experience. I probably changed nothing. Uh, what's the biggest thing, Bob? You learned from mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from dad? Well, you know, in the case of my father, which uh, God rest his soul, he's uh, he's passed away now. Uh, when he when, when he was sixty five, um, you know, we're he's a son of uh, of an immigrant, uh, Italian immigrant, uh, actually Sicilian immigrant. And, uh, you know, they, when they all came over to the U.S., um, you know, they had a lot of perseverance. And so my father, he, um, he went to the military when he got, when he, as he grew up. And uh, he had the pleasure of eating really good Italian food. Because my grandfather was also a caterer, a UAW uh, member. Uh, and he actually worked with Briggs. And but what I found was in my family was there's a lot of perseverance to succeed and 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 take care of the family. You know, my father had at any one time two to three jobs to put food on the table for us, and uh, as did my grandfather. And the biggest thing you learned from mom? Um, I probably was mostly uh, compassion. You know, my mother was very compassionate, hardworking, very loyal loyal mother um in most cases probably back then probably more prevalent than today but they were mostly she was probably most of the mostly the disciplinarian and we always knew that uh if we got the word that uh wait till your father gets home we were probably in big trouble 
she handled it up to a certain extent. And then if we knew we would push a little bit further, my dad would get involved. So we made sure that didn't happen. Uh, did you have any business experience as a kid growing up? Well, uh, I think it was always, uh, I probably started out very early from the, uh, the days of, uh, you know, the first snow when you threw the shovel over, over your shoulder and went around and you carried that through the spring into cutting lawns, uh, paper routes, restaurant business, uh, worked in the dormitories at Michigan State University in restaurants. Actually, I was going to be going to, I was going to go to school to be a hotel restaurant manager and decided instead to go into materials and logistics management. Um, but in most cases, more of an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. All right, you graduated, as you said, from Michigan State in business materials and logistics management. And in 1998, you founded CIA Inc., which is sold, I believe, in 2018. Talk about CIA Inc., please. Yeah, so CIA was a, um, was a company I had formed, uh, stands for Commercial Imports and Assembly. Uh, I started answering the phone, originally CIA, and a lot of people were hanging up on me because they thought they were calling the CIA. Uh, so I, I started answering the phone, Commercial Imports and Assembly, and it was mainly because of the, um, we, we de I developed a couple patented products, uh, magnetic fasteners for the automotive industry. And we were using magnetics in, uh, in the use to fasten interior trim in the vehicle. With that, we ended up, uh, most of the ores required for magnetic fastening were actually mined in, in the Far East. So it, it kind of brought me to the Far East to, uh, secure relationships and supply, mostly in China because of the mining they had going on there, to make what we call a neodymium magnet, a very strong magnet that was attached to a, uh, a median uh, used to attach trim in the vehicle. Most fledgling companies, especially from a new entrepreneur, don't make it, Bob. What were the couple of keys? that made CIA Inc. successful? Well, uh, you know, it was a matter of, uh, for me, it was identifying a need and, uh, and fulfilling it. You know, the, at, the time it, at the time I developed the magnetic fastening concept, uh, most of the times we saw in vehicles, let's say, for example, the headliner above your head, uh, we saw a lot of screws being used, a lot of push pins, a lot of visible fasteners. And uh, also we started putting more weight on the headliner. So duct work, more lighting, uh, screens for your children to watch television while they're driving. So we needed to develop something that was not so visible and or wasn't visible, what's called a blind fastener. And to number one, help for the sag. So the headliner didn't sag but also allow the assembly workers to assemble without having to drive a screw or push, uh, get in a vehicle and drive a push pin. So we use the magnets on the, on the B side, the inside, and we use the magnets actually attached to the sheet metal. We're talking to Bob Granada. When we come back, we're gonna to talk to him about another company that he founded, AGM Automotive. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 W. 
Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with Bob Granada. And in 2001, he founded and became the chief technical officer of AGM Automotive, which you then sold in, I believe, 2015. Talk about AGM Automotive, please. Yeah, AGM, AGM was actually a spinoff of the, the earlier venture commercial imports and assembly. Uh, I ended up uh, meeting some very uh, good people in Asia early on, and they were actually making some of the product for me uh, for the commercial imports and assembly. Uh, but there was a big push at the time in the automotive business to become more competitive because we were getting our, we were really getting our, uh, having a tough time being competitive in the marketplace, global marketplace for vehicles. Uh, so it was actually then that, um, I spoke to, I, we partnered with a company called uh, Nishoku. It's a Taiwanese multinational company. And they were actually, their claim to fame was really, they were probably one of the first uh, manufacturers for Apple. So we, we had the original Apple iPods that they made the housings and the plastic for. Well, it was with them that I had the vision to actually manufacture trim, interior trim, and lighting in uh, in uh, Taiwan, and then eventually China and Vietnam, uh, and actually import back to our export to America for the automotive makers. Uh, some people had some resistance to the idea, but at the time it was a matter of uh, what some would say sink or swim. Either you became much more competitive in the marketplace, uh, spent a lot more capital to automate, which wasn't really available at that time, um, or find another another supply chain uh, that could fulfill it. So we did all the design. AGM did all the design, the development, the prototyping, and the manufacturing and assembly. Some in the United States uh, for lighting products. It was our, really our first lighting project was uh, for Nissan, and we expanded that to handles, interior grab handles for the vehicle. Uh, and then eventually some electronics, overhead consoles, uh, control panels, and expanded the company to roughly about, um, we were probably at the about $385 million in sales by the time we sold the company. All right. In 2018, you become the CEO of Apex Corporation. Talk to us about Apex, please. Well, Apex was really a... Uh, came about because I had retired uh, based on a couple of factors. One was we, we had sold the company AGM to a larger entity. And uh, that was also national uh, international company. And uh, it was actually at the same time, Jack, that I was diagnosed with a stage four um, appendiceal cancer, a very rare cancer. And uh, so I went into retirement. Uh, I started feeling better. And I ended up getting actually a little bored. So I ended up starting um, the company called Apex to actually produce lighting again, uh, mostly lighting for the exterior this time, not the interior. Um, with this push to electric vehicles that we're in the middle of, 
how is that going to affect the use and the need for lighting going forward? Actually, it's probably very good timing for the lighting uh, in the marketplace. What we're going to you're going to start seeing more and more of is uh, more brand uh, brand identity identity. Uh, so you may start to see it now. Mustang has a vehicle. Uh, the uh, the what we call the Chevy bow tie. The front and rear has a uh, the nameplate. In this case, for GM, we have the bow tie. Uh, traditionally, those have never been lighted. Uh, so now we're actually putting light in a very narrow, very thin package and actually lighting the logos up as uh, in the evening. So you have a daytime and a nighttime. The nighttime, it's actually light, lighted. So you can see now you're, you're, you're actually displaying the brand in the, in, in night, at the nighttime and getting a lot more brand awareness. Um, we're seeing that as we shift to autonomous vehicles, we're actually looking at different lighted emblems and name badges that will actually be different colors. So if someone's driving in autonomous mode, uh, electric mode, they, they, the light would be a different, possibly a different color on the exterior of the vehicle. So uh, someone that's driving next, you could see if the car's in autonomous mode or has actually dri someone driving the vehicle. Um, but the interior, because LED is so popular, it doesn't draw a lot of uh, a lot of voltage amperage. So you're going to see a lot more LED lighting in the vehicle and on the exterior of the vehicle. All right, you mentioned a couple minutes ago that in 2014 you got cancer. You uh, you had sudden abdominal pain. You thought you needed a appendectomy, and uh, then they tell you, Mr. Granada you have cancer. What was your initial reaction, Bob? Yeah, it was uh, certainly one of shock. Uh, I thought I was going in just for a simple appendectomy. Uh, it was actually the day after one of the uh, black tie auto show events. And uh, I went in just to get checked. I, it felt like something, a pain in that where the appendix was. And sure enough, it was. Uh, but at that time, um, Appendix cancer was quite rare. It's actually only affected seven out of a million people. And so most people, most doctors in the medical community did not know how to really treat uh, appendiceal cancer. Uh, regretfully, by the time they caught it, uh, I was already staged a 4C with, uh, with a terminal prognosis of about three months to live. All right, uh, they tell you, Bob, You've got three months to live, get your affairs in order, make peace with our Heavenly Father. Um, how did you react to that? Well, you know, it was first, first thing that occurred to me was my daughters. I had daughters that were just getting through high school. Um, my eldest was just uh, accepted to Vanderbilt University. And, uh, and I just said, well, that's impossible. That's, uh, I, can't, that's, I can't accept that news. Um, and I won't accept it laying down for certain once I get out of here. And so I went on a very aggressive hunt to look at, looking at all different technologies, uh, whether, it's, whether it was uh, naturopathic ideas, you know, curcumins and turmeric and mistletoe injections. Uh, and also did conventional chemotherapy. Uh, 
but at the end of the day, we did a we they developed a, doc, a doctor named Dr. Sugar Baker uh, developed a procedure called HIPEC, stands for hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy, where they actually uh, perfused hot chemotherapy within the abdominal cavity uh, to eradicate any cancer that's floating around in your peritoneum, which is the space in and around your inner organs below your diaphragm. So the, the troublesome part about this cancer, Jack, was that um, it wasn't just tumor rate. Although you could have tumor masses, it was more of a mucinous fluid, cancerous fluid, which you, just by opening, you couldn't just take out. Like, it was unlike taking a tumor out. It was completely covering the inside of the abdominal cavity. So they perfused the hot chemo to actually kill or eradicate the cancer. Uh, it's a very invasive. Uh, after my surgery, they actually, I come to learn the word MOAS, M-O-A-S, the mother of all surgeries. And uh, sure enough, that it lived up to its every, uh, it lived up to its name because it certainly was. Uh, so I did my first HIPEC in uh, 14. And, and regretfully, about a year and a half later, I was actually, uh, I recurred uh, with another, uh, another um, some more mucin and tumors in my abdomen, and we did a second one. And these were all done in, uh, in Pittsburgh, which they specialize in. Was Dr. Uh, David Bartlett was trained under Dr. Sugar Baker, and uh, he performed both of my HIPEX surgeries. Um, and uh, in this case, quite successfully, because I'm going on now, January will be, well, I'm actually seven and a half years in, so I far exceeded my three-month uh, prognosis, and, uh, and it's actually, it actually brought about a new calling for me, Jack. Yes. We're talking to Bob Granada, who's a shining example of advocating for himself and taking the bulls by the horn and saying, I'm going to beat this. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula. We're with Bob Granada, and in 2014, he was diagnosed with stage 4C appendiceal cancer, an extremely rare form of cancer. Bob, if there's a listener tonight that just has heard those words, you've got cancer, they're feeling far, sorry for themselves, they're a victim, what do you say to him or her? Well, um, the biggest lesson I've learned was uh, you have to have hope. And I've seen... Uh, as you may know, I've uh, I'm now fully engaged in an advocacy, developing an advocacy program uh, for Dr. David Bartlett in, in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, so most of my time advocating for the patients has been, mostly I do advocate, I advocate for patients that can't advocate for themselves or have no one that can advocate for themselves. So surprisingly, 90, 95% of the patients out there, cancer patients, don't have advocates or or won't advocate for themselves, which typically when I when I uh, start to mentor some of these folks, uh, I know 
pretty immediately whether they're going to have the fight in the fire in the belly to to beat this thing and it can be beaten and as as you know from my case uh so it's it's a matter of hope it's a matter of finding the right doctor uh, a lot of doctors would purport to do manage you know surgical procedures of this nature but because this is so specific you have to you have to have a specialist so yeah you your best time is spent finding specialists as the most experience. You're a shining example of a person that took on a huge challenge, beat it, and is making a terrific difference for a lot of lives. And you become an expert in the miracle we know as light. Talk to us about the miracle of light. Well, you know, uh, as we know, light's been around a long time. And uh, one of the things that we start to recognize is that, you know, the benefits of light. Uh, most of the, the, the medical community, certainly they recognize light as being an effective tool to fight different maladies. Uh, but it, it's simple as uh, like when we went through the pandemic, well, one of the things that most people could see if they if they looked, I guess if they looked uh, hard enough is, you know, the, the rates of COVID, for example, was much, much lower in the, as the coast we got to the equator. As you went north and as we enter the seasons of uh, gray, dark, cold um, uh, temperatures, the, the rate COVID rates started to increase. So it all became mostly uh, a part of uh, the, you know, the lack of vitamin D in your system, which is generated by light. Well, uh, we've we've worked with a with a partner in uh, in the past that uh, has developed. We worked to develop a product that could actually uh, use light, uh, varying wavelengths of light, to um, to actually. Bring, bring blood flow, and then also uh, essentially oxygen and starts to actually repair cells. So we've seen it actually has a regenerative effect on the body. That could be a, a knee sprain, it could be, a, uh, it could be your collagen in your, in, in your skin to make you tighten your skin. A lot of different effects light can actually bring to, uh, positive things that light can bring to the human body. You guys have come up with something entitled Sunflower. Yeah, the Sunflower unit, right now we're, uh, we've, we've basically, um, we've actually working on a new project. We've, we've, we've kind of s slowed down the, the mass market of it to work on some effectiveness for the dementia market. And so we're doing, they're doing some early studies to see the effects of light in treating dementia. So it's really much too early to say where we're at in those results, but we do believe that light will have a positive effect on uh, people that are experiencing early symptoms of dementia. You've got a bit of Elon Musk in you. Not as many zeros, but... <laughs> Is that true? You're not That's just true. about making money. You're about doing good and helping other people. So Elon Jr., where did you get that from? 
Well, I think it's my experience, Jack. I think it's the, uh, I really believe that my illness is probably what changed me. I wouldn't say for the better, but changed me and, and re, uh, it, it became my new calling. And, and as I mentioned, uh, the hospital, so the hospital system I'm associated with, well, I originally came back to Michigan, uh, from Pittsburgh and started help fund, uh, the HIPEC, uh, department or start a HIPEC department at Beaumont hospital here in Southeast Michigan. Um, it, it, it caught, caught, caught it got kind of caught up in some bureaucracy, um, in my opinion, maybe some uh, not so, such strong leadership. And uh, I ended up uh, going back to Dr. Bartlett, in, uh, which at that time was at UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. He just took over as the chief of Allegheny Health Network in Pittsburgh. And uh, he's actually, uh, and we, we had a, I had a patient, uh, a guy that actually, I'm written up in a book called Radical Hope that found my name in a, in a book called Radical Hope. It's people that have survived cancer uh, through radical means. And he looked it up, we talked. He said uh, one of the major hospital systems in, in, um, in Texas told him that there was nothing they could do for him, and he was 38, and he'd have to prepare for the inevitable I hooked him up with Dr. Bartlett at AHN, and he, he took him on his, his surgery, and he's done quite well, actually. But it was really more importantly, it was uh, the question I had for Dr. Bartlett was I went back to see Dr. Bartlett, and I said, you know, here's my experience when I was with you at UPMC. And I said, here's what I think you need to fix. And he said, well, can you help me? And so I said, sure, I can help you as long as you... As long as we're on the same page going forward, um, new, you know, with new technologies, new clinical trials, state-of-the-art uh, surgery methods, I'd be happy to. So I developed a, a ambassador advocacy group where I now have a group of eight people around the U.S. that are the are the folks that are helping others walking this walking down this this path. And it was the, when, when I started seeing real concrete evidence of successes where they had no hope, uh, it really re-energized me. Talking to Bob Granada, and I'm Jack Prasula, and this is Anything Is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything. 
I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to Bob Granada. And in 2018, he became the CEO of Apex Corporation. Bob, you are a quintessential entrepreneur. Talk to us about entrepreneurs. What do they have in successful ones? What do they have in common? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I've had this conversation recently with some younger younger folks uh, that I said, you know, basically, what do you want to do when you, you know, after you graduate? What are you going to go to school for? What are you going to do when you want to graduate? And I've heard many, many times that people have said, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I said, okay, it's, I think it's good. I mean, it's good to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, there's more to it than just saying you want to be an entrepreneur. It's really more of an innate, my feeling, it's more of an innate quality uh, and drive. And uh, so you're really blending a lot of creativity. So I asked a lot of the young folks that asked me that question. I said, well, what is it you want to uh, be an entrepreneur of? Is it a product? Is it a service? What is it you're thinking? Well, I don't know yet, but I want to be an entrepreneur because there's there's a certain, you know, People think, oh, entrepreneurs make a lot of money. Well, you know, with 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 opportunity becomes risk, right? So you have to have a lot of you have to have a much higher risk tolerance than most. Uh, you have to be you have to be ready to take go many years without any type of salary or money, and uh, as you try to launch your idea, uh, and some people aren't prepared to do that. They're like, hey, we, I want to work, I want to make money, and so it's it's a it's a really a balance of risk. Uh, creativity, certainly drive, timing. You know, I think in many cases I've been very blessed by good timing, being at the right place, right time, uh, listening, you know, listening and not talking. You know, a lot of people talk and few people really listen to what their customer wants or the, co- the consumer wants. And, um, that, you know, and that's how you got to really, that's how you develop the next best product. I've heard it said that an entrepreneur gets to decide which 16 hours a day he or she wants to toil. Uh, <laughs> That's so. true, right? Yeah, your days, your days are very long. And in many, in many cases, uh, longer. I, you know, my first uh, couple years into, into my uh, international model, I spent uh, 250, 260 days a year just traveling. You know, meeting the people, meeting, shaking the right hands, getting getting to know the right government folks to get things approved. And uh, so they are certainly very long hours, long days, long years. Uh, and sometimes we, we are also met with we we're also met with a lot of uh, a lot of issues and challenges that sometimes are not. Uh, if you want everyone, it'd be great. But you can't you don't win everyone. You know, some some fall in place, some don't. We're talking to Bob Granada. If you want to learn more, www.eypex.com. Eypex.com. In today's world, Bob, you have to keep learning while you're earning. Talk about that an entrepreneur has to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, it's uh, it really. I think it still goes back to what I said just earlier. Is that uh, it's it's a lot of listening and uh, and then trying to figure out what what is it what is it what is it the consumer wanted or the the customer wanted 
And then it's a matter of uh, putting it to get, getting the right people in the, in the, in the room, right. The right people in the right room. Like, I don't know, uh, clearly we don't know everything. So you got to make sure you can, you have the ability to choose the right, the right team with the right experience and the right knowledge. And, and then it's a matter of making sure that team gels really well to meet your ultimate objective. A lot of entrepreneurs reach a certain level and never can exceed that level. Um, they can't learn to give up. They can't learn to get better people than themselves. Talk about the challenges of scaling a business. Yeah. So um, let me see where I go with that. That, you know, the, the issue becomes certainly uh, what we do know. I, I used to be a kind of a, a person that would want to just do it all myself, right? Because I knew I can get it done faster. And I knew I can do it, do it effectively. Uh, but I learned, uh, I did learn shortly thereafter that you can't be all for everybody. Uh, we wore many different hats. We, we still wear many hats. We could be the, we could be the CEO or we could certainly be, uh, we could be the, the production worker at times, you know, whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, but it's, it's really got, finding the people that share the same passion you do to be a success. I always used to say, and a lot of people say it is, you know, you really, um, if everybody, if, if it was really simple, everybody would do it, right? And most people really don't, they don't really, they want to find the path of least resistance. So they just naturally levitate away from risk, uh, the risk-reward um, formula. You've been at this for decades. Ross Perot had many sayings, one of which was, it's a funny thing about people, how often when they get successful, they quit doing the very things that made them successful. You keep doing that. How do you do it? Yeah, I mean, uh, most would people would tell me after my illness that, they, you know, and I retired, what are you... Um... What are, you do, what are you doing going back into business? You can retire comfortably. You could go sit on the beach. And the follow-up question that is, you know, what is your hobbies? And I said, hmm. And this is probably a negative thing, but uh, I do have hobbies. But really, my hobby is my business. And so I get a lot of pleasure out of doing business and, and maybe bringing a product to fruition. Um, so... It really, it's, it's almost like it's got to be your hobby. You know, you got to stick with it just like with the, you do with a hobby. The statement, success is a journey, not a destination. Talk about that, if you will. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say that's probably a very good, very good quote. If it is a quote, I'm not sure who quoted it, but um, it, it, it is a journey, and it's a journey really, uh, you, you can certainly choose to stop, end your journey at one spot or not, but I think a true entrepreneur continues to look for a new opportunity. It's like, uh, why don't they have this? Well, I can make that, and we could, you know, people could be happy with that, and we could sell a lot of that. So it's, your mind is kind of always in, a, uh, in, in motion. All right. Speaking of uh, new challenges. Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of setting up a vocational program as we speak. Talk about that. Well, uh, I was in the, in the process, Jack. It was, uh, it, it was met with a lot of, uh, a lot of disappointment, actually. Uh, a lot of, I cut my teeth originally in the tooling business. 
and uh, representing a mold makers, uh, a very good company called Proper International. Uh, and we made tools and molds. And uh, what we noticed is, uh, what I've noticed is, is that our, our, uh, everybody's recruiting students to go to college. And what I do know is college is not for everybody. So we're pushing ch children out of school, out of the high schools and saying, you have to go to college. And many aren't cut from that cloth. So, and, 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 but instead, they're not pushing into the vocational trades. So if you look at vocational trades, let's call it mold making in this case, what is, you know, uh, who's going who's gonna to be the mold makers of the world and produce uh, products that, technical products? And it's a big challenge because most of the people are retiring right now. So it's going to push us, it's going to push a lot of people overseas to get tooling made, uh, fixtures, gauges, tooling, molds, stamping dies. And that, that creates a big challenge for a lot of us. It's, I mean, for the, for the country's security is one. We don't have, we're losing our, our key advantages, which was being a manufacturing-driven country. Bob Granada, you are a shining example of taking the challenges that the Lord gives us and turning them into terrific things to help yourself and other people. Keep up the great, great work. Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Please join us again next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Pasula. Thanks for listening and make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spoken. Believe in yourself.